Welcome to Dermatology Morning Commute, Perigo Nodularis. I've never seen these nodules before. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. In this first podcast in our series, Dr. Sean Quatra and Dr. Serena Elmaria discuss perigo nodularis, its diagnosis and differentiation from other skin conditions. On September 29, 2022, after this podcast series was recorded, the FDA approved dupilumab subcutaneous injection for the treatment of adults with perigo nodularis. This is the first approved treatment for PN. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash pnodularis1. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Quatra is an Associate Professor of Dermatology at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore. Dr. Almaria is an Assistant Professor at Harvard Medical School and part of the faculty in the Department of Dermatology at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Quatra will begin our discussion. Hello, everyone. I'm Sean Quatra, and it's great to start out our series on Paragonodularis with our first episode. I've never seen these nodules before. So, Serena, thanks for joining me uh, today for this podcast. And I think it's probably safe to say that this isn't something that uh, many members of our audience see a lot. Uh, it's a diagnosis that could be uh, sometimes missed or not appropriately treated, but we'll talk together about how we diagnose PN and then throughout the course of episodes, even go all the way down to treatment and new options that are emerging. So to start out with, uh, let's talk a little bit about how we diagnose Paragonodularis. So I wanted to get your thoughts and welcome you being here. Thanks, Sean. It's great to be here. I, um, you know, this is a topic that I love to talk about in part because it's, while it's not necessarily common, we see it all the time in dermatology and these patients are really, really suffering. So um, many patients will come in, they'll often have a diagnosis of, of, you know, eczema or an excoriation disorder or psoriasis or lichen planus, even if it's not really a confirmed diagnosis. But essentially the crux of what the, the diagnosis of parigonodularis is, is having paritis, so itching, that's chronic, so over six weeks, although patients can have intermittent bouts and flares that are more acute in nature, it really runs with them throughout much of their life, essentially once parigonodularis develops. And um, patients will come in also with nodular lesions, crusted lesions, but sometimes they can be ulcerated uh, and they can have associated symptoms that range from itching to to, uh, pain or burning. And I think you and I can dissect that a little bit more but because of this very, you know, variation in presentation, it can often lead to misdiagnoses in these cases. Absolutely. So uh, taking the long view here, uh, there have been a few studies done and, and we've done some of them investigating how common parigonodularis is. Uh, some of the estimates are about 72 per 100,000. A few of the other uh, studies have revealed a range uh, around two or 200 to 300,000 patients. But to be honest, like you said, the actual number 
of paragonagularis patients is much, much higher because of an underappreciation of the disease. It also, in the United States, uh, predominantly and disproportionately affects uh, Black patients and African Americans, also other skin of color patients. So it also brings up uh, many factors, uh, social determinants of health uh, beyond. And, and thank you so much, Serena, for going through uh, that diagnostic criteria. I totally agree with you um, that there's uh, many situations where you don't need a biopsy. It's pretty straightforward, but then there's there's some situations where a lot of these patients get misdiagnosed. I can share a story. I had a patient referred to me actually from a, a dermatologic surgeon, and this patient had been referred from the outside. They had a biopsy performed, and the biopsy was read as a squamous cell carcinoma, and they were uh, thought to have about 200 of these squamous cell carcinomas that were extremely itchy on the upper and lower extremities. So the most surgeon comes to me and says, hey, can you take a look at this? Because I, I don't think we need to do Mohs on 200 spots. And actually it was parigonagularis where a biopsy was read. And because it's similar thickening and nodular makeup, similar to even a squamous cell carcinoma, he was misdiagnosed by a dermatologist. Other times, patients who um, sometimes even have bullous diseases, excoriations uh, that is presenting slightly differently, uh, may be misdiagnosed as well. The other interesting thing is that atopic dermatitis, uh, as we know, can present uh, with a papular variant or even a, a parigo-like variant. So do you have any other tips that, that you use for helping uh, when maybe it's not straightforward kind of going through uh, to make the diagnosis? Yeah. You know, I actually, I want to highlight a few things that you said, John, because I think it's important, you know, just as you have that example, I've had that same scenario happen with me where it was, you know, a patient referred for multiple um, keratoacanthomas or SECs, uh, again, hypertrophic like implantis, um, you know, patients for various um, like perforating disorders and, you know, even scabies, like many different things. And so I think the important thing is to think about what the differential diagnosis is of nodular, you know, or even in some cases like hyperpigmented, papular, or ulcerated um, eroded lesions and start to work through what would you do to rule those in or out? You know, again, you mentioned a biopsy is not necessarily required. Um, sometimes it can be helpful if you have a real gut instinct that there is an underlying, uh, you know, primary dermatosis that has been inadequately, inadequately treated. It's also important to recognize that patients can actually have another disease process and then have a parigonodularis presentation um, kind of superimposed or as part of that, that process. And so in addition to, you know, potentially thinking Thinking about you know a biopsy, I think just taking a good clinical history and doing a good exam, really looking for those underlying causes. I cannot stress how important that you know that is. And then you know in evaluating these patients, we will sometimes do laboratory tests to look for underlying causes. So you know uh, like a complete blood cell count, a liver or renal panel, just to assess some systemic function. And then in certain cases where you think the patient may have other systemic risk factors for developing prigonodularis or even just chronic itch. Um, again, there's a distinction there, which I think we'll talk about later, but 
you know, looking at thyroid function or evaluating for chronic diabetes or other sources of neuropathy. Um, in certain cases, if they're risk factors looking for HIV, hepatitis B, C, or even, um, you know, in the case where it's sudden onset parigonodularis, uh, you know, meaning patients have had it for less than a year um, or so, an age-appropriate malignancy screening is also um, important to think about. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because there's this misconception out there that parigonodularis has to be secondary to something else. And to be honest, it drives me crazy because even other docs who've been seeing patients for 30, 40 years, they always say, okay, well, we have to find out what's it secondary to. And my view is that, hey, this is a unique inflammatory skin disease, similar to psoriasis. And like psoriasis, there are comorbidities, there are associated conditions that are more common in these patients, but it's still a very unique uh, immunology, uh, neuroimmunology that defines the disease. And so my viewpoint has been similar to yours. I'm screening uh, folks to make sure they don't have these diseases at baseline. Actually, we just published a paper also showing that after a diagnosis of parigonodularis, you're more likely to subsequently develop renal dysfunction. So what that also suggests is that it's not just, oh, these diseases are associated with it. It's, hey, the unchecked inflammation, the increased IL-13 or IL-31 or IL-22, IL-4 that are circulating in the blood can also damage other organs. And so that's been one of the big things that I've also been trying to uh, kind of get across say, hey, this is a very unique presentation. And if it's not treated appropriately, that level of inflammation can then lead to a lot of these other disorders developing. So for me, that's been uh, somewhat of a challenge as well in, in terms of education and understanding. And I think the science is still behind, but, but that's what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis. What's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, I agree. I, I do think, you know, you and I both see many patients who are chronically itchy for any number of reasons. And while we, I wouldn't say it's a vestige necessarily, but while we take what we've learned from chronic paritis or chronic itching disorders, and we try to apply it to parigonodularis, it is important to recognize that not every patient with chronic itch develops parigonodularis. So certainly it is a disease of its own entity. And, you know, some of your work um, and work of others have really gone into starting to characterize both the pathophysiology, which I, well, I think we're going to address in a different, um, at a later time, a later podcast, but, um, you know, certainly it needs to be thought of in that context. So I, I do tend to work up and evaluate, particularly based on risk factors, what other, you know, etiologies might be contributing to the PN, but I treat PN and I recognize PN as an entity of its own. And I think that that is important. You know, you also actually bring up a very important point when you discuss some of the, you know, recognizing PN um, as a separate entity, which is, it is, too often, more than anything else, I think, often a situation where many physicians, dermatologists, and also primary care and other physicians label as a psychiatric disorder. And, uh, you know, while picking and neurotic excoriation certainly exist, I think it's an unfortunate label to some extent because it excludes 
really an understanding of both the neuropathic and inflammatory components that drive PN specifically. And because of that, often patients really get triaged in a way that's not appropriate for them and then never really get the benefit of appropriate care. So I'm sure that you've experienced that as well in your practice when you see patients. Yeah, absolutely. I had one patient actually, we had a discussion. It was our, my first time meeting them. And I said, your clinical presentation is most consistent with a diagnosis of prognagularis. And I went forward with explaining what the diagnosis was and the patient started crying. And then I was concerned because I thought I had said something inappropriate. So I wanted to make sure they were okay. And there was actually tears of happiness because it had been 10 to 20 years of being passed around doc to doc and being told that she was crazy. And she you know, had tried to do many things, uh, gone to psychiatrists for many years, uh, done counseling, done all of this type of therapy when actually she had a very unique neuroimmune uh, pathogenesis to her disease and she cried because she has had a diagnosis and she also had validation. She'd been doubted for that long. And to be honest, I know we both had these kind of situations. It's not just a few patients. This is a huge swath of yeah. patients. Yeah. I, I, I see this all the time, you know, where patients are amazed that you can evaluate them and they can finally have a diagnosis and relieved even, you know, even before you initiate treatment, uh, you know, a treatment plan, they will often simply be so grateful that they finally just have a physician who understands uh, their disease process and ha- they have a diagnosis. You know, one thing that you mentioned earlier is that many of these patients uh, and, and, you know, even in terms of just related comorbidities will actually have have a diagnosis of, you know, renal insufficiency or some other disorder. And so they're used to seeing physicians, but they, you know, in those situations, they have numerous, um, you know, counseling on the disease itself. But in this particular case with PN, people are often, they find themselves being shamed because they're told just not to pick and scratch. Right. And and I think it's it's important that we in dermatology, but really as we build awareness about this disorder, that uh, people recognize that that really doesn't serve, you know, the patient all that well. And then, you know, the other component I wanted to just briefly address was that, you know, shame is also often very culturally influenced. So given that there's so, you know, that this is not uncommon and actually predominantly affects, you know, African-Americans and patients of African heritage, it can really, in those you know, cultural circles and contexts can have an even greater impact on their overall well-being. Absolutely. And also referrals with other providers, uh, building on what you said, uh, something that I'm also seeing is uh, patients who have chronic kidney disease, like you mentioned, uh, that's something that we screen for. If they have parigonodules and parigonodularis, what I've found is that oftentimes that patient has been suffering for a really long time, months mm-hmm. to even years. And so that's another thing I believe we should be getting the point across to a lot of these frontline providers, the PCPs, the primary care docs, the other um, specialists, the nephrologists is, hey, if you see a patient with these itchy bumps on their body, we have specific treatments 
for those patients that are targeted to their underlying biology. It's not just secondary to X, Y, or Z and being able to, to make that something actionable. So kind of building on what you said, uh, that's what I'm hopeful for is that we can build that awareness that you need a referral because the dermatologists really are the guardians of PN and of prognodularis. And so we're trying to get more of them uh, into our care. Uh, have you seen that a lot that sometimes these patients are, are just you know, bounced around uh, from provider to provider? Certainly. Uh, you know, I think sometimes what happens is a patient will come into their primary care doctor uh, or another physician. They are seen, they have these nodules. Sometimes they may or may not be treated with a topical steroid by that provider and uh, or they're simply advised, you know, not to scratch. There can be a delay of even, you know, as you mentioned, years in some cases where before patients are seen by a dermatologist. And depending on the dermatologist, and their practice, you know, they may or may not initiate a workup or, a, you know, a more aggressive treatment plan than just topical steroids. But many of these patients, I find, you know, have a delay in their, in their diagnosis. You know, one thing we've kind of danced around this multiple times, but often patients will be sent to psychiatrists or to hematologists, oncologists for a cancer workup. You know, they'll have had bone marrow biopsies and chest CTs and all of these things before they ever make it to a dermatologist's office, <laughs> which is which is really, you know, sometimes very surprising to me. Uh, you know, we also need to recognize that even as dermatologists, I get referrals from other dermatologists that where they are so concerned, you know, about these other underlying, you know, associations that they will continue to repeat these aggressive, um, you know, diagnostic uh, procedures just to ensure that, you know, the patient doesn't have a, you know an underlying key malignancy, for example, but yet they haven't really thought about a more appropriate treatment plan beyond maybe you know topical steroids and UV you know phototherapy things along those lines. So even in dermatology, I think there's sometimes a disconnect with how we manage these patients. Absolutely, and like the diabetes patient is so interesting. Uh, I've had other folks say, okay, this person has prognodularis, but they have diabetes. So I told them to see their primary care provider, get on insulin and get their A1C down. And you know, sometimes that can help a little bit, but breaking through that barrier of, no, that's not what's only causing that. That's the disease that may be associated with it. And I think, so that's one of the big things I'd like to get across also is that with these comorbidities, we want to improve folks' overall health status while truly treating this underlying disease process. Um, so hopefully like sessions like ours that we're having and others, uh, we can get those, uh, those messages across. Um, yeah. And I think just maybe to give, um, a couple bullet points for people to remember, right? So prigonodularis, it presents with many firm nodular lesions, sometimes ulcerated. You can see signs of picking or scratching. It tends to be chronic, you know, from a, from a quality of life standpoint, these patients are really suffering. They've got, often have anxiety, sleep disturbance, other psychosocial, you know, issues, um, and, and shame. And the important thing as practitioners is that we need to recognize 
recognize their quality of life and their suffering. We need to think about what might be reasonable um, comorbidities and evaluate them, but also need to focus on once those have been kind of ruled in or ruled out, focus on the disease itself, right? And how we can manage these patients to improve their quality of life. Absolutely. And it's not in their head. It's not only secondary to something else. No, now we're understanding the biology of prognodularis and we're overwhelmingly getting many new agents to help us treat it. So it's time that we have this paradigm shift. So thank you so much, uh, Serena. That, that's the conclusion of our first uh, podcast in our series. And uh, we'll be uh, picking this up a little bit later. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash pnodularis1. Look for all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today.